Blog Talk Radio. Like 
Michelle Janicki that's over there, and we'll we'll talk some more about athletics and warm up routines and all that kind of good stuff later. But I will keep you posted. As of now, what's happening is it's an encore presentation of this show. It's edited down to fit to the 42 minutes or whatever there is of actual live broadcast time during an hour. But that is very exciting news. And High Road Producers does plan to get into 12 more major markets by the end of the year. So keep tuned for more news uh, of that nature. I'm pretty excited to be part of this production company. Um, One thing also, if you happen to have a business and you're interested in purchasing radio advertising that also helps to promote your values, then go to High Road Producers website and you can find out about ad opportunities. I think there's a link to them in the press release that I give you through the link at the blog at don'tletitgo.com. So go to don'tletitgo.com, go to the press release, go to the link for higher producers. You can find all this. Uh, People here in the chat room over at Blog Talk Radio are congratulating me. Thank you on that. Uh, Craig in the chat room is giving us a little preview of one of the stories. Elon Musk is a moocher. Yes, I definitely agree. Yeah, thanks, thanks to those of you who are congratulating me. Uh, Jay in the chat room says he works overnight. It's 4 a.m. to him, but it's his night, that's his night off. The one night off is the time that I'm broadcasting. I figured Tuesday was a good time to start. Sometimes people have Mondays off. So if I'm going to do a live show, I want to catch people when it's, I guess, still early in their work week, but not the very beginning when they're fully bleary-eyed. It's going to be interesting to see what kind of live calls that I'm going to get in Miami at 6 a.m. I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, anyway, so yeah, over at the uh, blog, you know, go to don'tletitgo.com and you can check out and get a preview of all the stuff that we want to talk about today and do check out that press release as well. Um, the first story, and it's the one that inspired the truth part of, you know, our truth and justice, the American way. Are they still the American way? Headline from a Nicholas Kristof piece at New York Times, and this was just last Sunday, Clinton's fibs versus Trump's huge lies. And I can't remember who was sharing this around Facebook. I think somebody was. It actually could have been. I could have seen it myself. Again, thanks to those of you who support the show. I actually have a New York Times subscription, and so I get a lot of news from them. And they're surprisingly good at reporting a lot of the essential stories that we need. It's a little bit tiresome right now because they're on the Trump attack and they seem to be making a self-fulfilling prophecy, their predictions that Hillary Clinton is going to win. So for example, today they are predicting 86% chance that Hillary Clinton will be our next president. And today in this little segment about truth, I'm going to give you another reason to be depressed about that. Unfortunately, Clinton's fibs versus Trump's huge lies, as you can tell from the headline, the theme of this piece is that, yeah, you know, Clinton, she just, you know, she tells fibs like an ordinary politician, but boy, Trump, he tells huge lies. He's just in a class by himself and you should really worry about him. Uh, You know, first of all, isn't it disgusting that this is where we are, that we have both leading candidates for president known for lying, known for lying. 
not just, oh, they found a lie, but they are both known for lying repeatedly. And then we start to have debates about, well, this one's only fibbing and this one tells huge lies. And that's going to be the debate that we have about who our next president is. So you can see right there, if we have the two leading candidates for president of the United States in 2016, both of whom are known for lying, what does that say about our country? What does it say about whether truth is part of the American way anymore? So, you know, that was part of our inspiration here. (sighs) Writes Christoph, one persistent narrative in American politics is that Hillary Clinton is a slippery, compulsive liar, while Donald Trump is a gutsy truth teller. And then Christoph goes through a whole bunch of statistics and they say, okay, you know, um, only 27% of Clinton's statements had looked like they were mostly false or worse compared to 70% of Trump's, right? And that's just one of the statistics. It's all about, you know, these different people talking about the quantity of lies, right? So you talk about Clinton's statements, the quantity of those that were untruthful versus the quantity of Trump's that were untruthful. Uh, They say Washington Post uh, fact checker awarded its worst ranking for Pinocchio's to 16% of Clinton's statements, but to 64% of Trump's. So Clinton, she is just a typical politician, the fact checker at Washington Post says. While Trump is, quote, just off the charts, there's never been anyone like him, at least in the six years I have been doing this. Now, I bet that there have been way back in the past in any event. But here's the question, right? And, and you know, when you think of all the different lies that Trump has told, I guess, like, you know, he knew Putin or he's buddies with Putin uh, or he's lying about actual, you know, some fact in the world that he just isn't really familiar with or whatever. Yeah, he tells lies. My question is, what is the significance of the content of the things that Trump is lying about? So maybe he's lying, for example, that Ted Cruz started the whole war about which of the wives, you know, Trump's wife or Cruz's wife was ugly or not. You know, did Cruz really have anything to do with the pack that first put the picture out, I guess, insulting Trump's wife? I don't, you know, this kind of stuff. Is this really consequential versus the things that Hillary Clinton has lied about? So, for example, he even even here in this piece, Kristoff, right, says that Hillary Clinton's accounts of her use of private email servers have been consistently false or misleading. He says, astonishingly, she continues to mislead, i.e. lie, by claiming that the FBI director, James Comey, judged her answers truthful. And Kristoff says, no, he did not. And yeah, we've seen video footage, if you follow this show, I've you know posted that YouTube video of Gowdy quizzing Comey and asking, you know, is this thing that Hillary Clinton said right? No, that's not right. Is this next thing? Is this next thing? No, all of these things that Hillary Clinton said were false. Comey had to admit. And, you know, what I submit is that, yeah, you can go through this Kristoff piece and you could look at sheer quantity of lies and maybe Trump tells a higher quantity of lies. But when you talk about the moment, the magnitude of the content 
of the lies? I'm betting that Hillary Clinton's outweighs Trump. Why? Because Hillary Clinton is lying about things that she did while she was involved with government, which meant when she was charged with the job of protecting our rights, protecting our safety, protecting the safety of our ambassador and everyone else in Benghazi, which she defaulted on, later lying about that. I don't care about quantity of lies. I mean, the stuff that Trump lies about is ridiculous, mind you, but I don't think that Hillary Clinton is any less bad. Now, mind you, the other thing that's true is Kristoff's piece came out on the 6th, and shortly after that, the New York Times found itself uh, found it necessary to publish the following piece, which quickly got buried, but it's still there at the New York Times website. You can find it. Again, go to don'tletitgo.com for all of these program notes. But the headline is, Emails Renew Questions About Clinton Foundation and State Department Overlap. Okay, so again, this is stuff about Clinton's conduct while she was working for the State Department, working for you and me, our tax dollars, paying this woman and paying for all the people who have helped her. And what did she do with that power and authority and position that we have already given her? And in this New York Times piece, two very disturbing things here. And imagine what else there is if the New York Times is just giving you these, right? Um, There's a whole bunch of documents that have been released, and I think it's because of a Freedom of Information Act request from Judicial Watch again, right? Judicial Watch has has been the cause of a lot of these releases of crucial information. So there's a couple email exchanges here that are very disturbing when you look at what Clinton did in her role working for the State Department when she was still involved and benefiting from the so-called Clinton Foundation, It says in one email exchange, an executive at the Clinton Foundation in 2009 sought to put a billionaire donor in touch with the United States ambassador to Lebanon because of the donor's interest there. Talk about cronyism, right? Clinton Foundation, Hillary Clinton was heavily involved in it. She benefited from Clinton Foundation receipts, et cetera, and they wanted to put a billionaire donor of the Clinton Foundation in touch with the U.S. ambassador to Lebanon because of the donor's interest, business interest, presumably, there. Another email, the foundation appeared to push aides to Mrs. Clinton to help find a job for a foundation associate. Her aides indicated that the department was working on the request. These are just two examples that are in the story. The documents that were, you know, obtained by Judicial Watch says it includes 44 emails that were not among the some 55,000 pages of emails that Mrs. Clinton had previously given to the State Department, which she said represented all of her, quote, work-related emails. So again, another instance of dishonesty on the part of Hillary Clinton. She did not disclose all of her work-related emails, at least 44 of them that are part of this crucial trove released because of Judicial Watch weren't there. 
And, you know, if you go back to the 55,000 pages, how is it that Hillary Clinton was transparent and shared these 55,000 pages? She gave it as a huge stack of paper, not digitized, not searchable. It would have to be scanned through the OCR and, you know, that's imperfect and everything else. There is no such thing as transparency with this woman either. So she's hiding things. She is deliberately lying about things. And again, the things that she's deliberately lying lying about are of tremendous moment. If you see what she has done with the power that she had at the State Department to give benefits to the Clinton Foundation and the donors and the people who worked for it, you just get a small hint of what she would do as president. And yet here is New York Times. They know this, right? They're publishing this stuff. This is a New York Times story I'm reading from. And they are knowingly help her, you know, helping her become president. They think that Donald Trump, I guess, is some, you know, previously previously never seen horrible person. I'm I won't vote for Donald Trump myself. I think he's terrible, but I certainly would not go out there and attack him all the time on the idea that I'm going to try to help Hillary Clinton and she's better and try to push her. Uh, New York Times has been pushing her as well. They have some kind of puff piece story about the houses that she grew up in and that she was pushed into corporate America only because her family had financial trouble. Oh, poor her. She was bailing out her family and the places that she lived in were sometimes modest. And, you know, basically you shouldn't think that she is the woman of privilege and let's call it privilege in the, in the nasty negative sense that they use white privilege. How about political privilege these days? How about Clinton privilege. Corey in the chat room says that Trump can beat Hillary. No, I think that's true that Trump can beat Hillary. I actually wonder whether Johnson can beat both of them. You know, I got an email, haven't been able to check it out yet today. It's just an email from the Johnson campaign because I got myself on the list. And it's, you know, about Johnson being honest. And compared to these two, I would say that definitely honest. And, you know, as far as everything that I know, it would be really, really uh, great to see if that could happen. I've got one uh, Facebook friend who had predicted that maybe because of the fact that we did not see Hillary Clinton brag about her foundation during her acceptance speech, right? When she talked about, you know, that her whole background, that there was that whole segment of the acceptance speech. If you heard my analysis of it, where she was talking about the, um, all the charitable foundation work that she did. Why wouldn't she talk up the Clinton foundation? Right. And the speculation was that the reason she's not talking up the Clinton foundation in a speech like that, in the acceptance speech is because she anticipates a so-called wiki storm. That was a term that my friend used. I thought was a great term. Uh, wiki storm is on the horizon and you know, this is a small taste right? This judicial watch little trove of emails that was released. It's a small taste of it. And we've seen coverage of this little chunk of emails and and what it means in terms of the overlap of the State Department and the Clinton Foundation. We've seen the coverage of this in both the New York Times and at CNN. CNN had a big headline that I saw going around as well. If they feel like they have to report on it, even when there's just this small amount, maybe they know that there's this wiki storm coming and that they want to get ahead of this big story that 
might actually cause their candidate some harm. But, you know, again, going back to this theme, is truth even really the American way anymore? Imagine that there is an 86% chance of putting this woman who blatantly lies about important things into office, in the highest office, the highest political office in the land, president of the United States. It is just unfathomable to me that we're doing this. <sighs> Sally in the chat room says, if her health is bad, we can look forward to eight years of cane. Yeah, maybe we need to do some research on cane. You know, it's getting really depressing to think about what does the next at least four years. Sally, let's not let's not think about eight years, right? We could be optimistic and we could say maybe it would take only four more years for things to turn around. Maybe we'd have only four years of horrible, horrible suffering. Yeah, we might need to do some research on Cain. Uh, there are real conspiracy theorists out there speculating that Hillary Clinton, her health is really bad. There's the, you know, this stuff out there about people having to help her upstairs. And I don't watch this stuff too closely, but apparently her health is not great. So she drops dead after she's elected. And then Barack Obama figures out a way to stay in office for another four years, eight years, whatever it is that, that he can do. Jay in the chat room says people are too used to eight year presidents. You know, I heard recently, just this week, actually, at a, I was at a party and someone had said that Barack Obama said something about he feels like he's getting kicked out of office too soon or something like that. You know, and, and conspiracy theorists will just go crazy on this stuff and they'll say, oh, my God, he's going to impose martial law and he's going to try to stay in office even if he's, you know, like he's supposed to be out because of term limits and everything else. I don't believe that. I haven't. I, I did one brief Google search. Can you believe I actually did a Google search on that? But I couldn't find anything. So if you find a solid news story where Barack Obama is saying something that actually sounds threatening about him trying to do a last-minute power grab to stay in office beyond his eight-year term, you can go ahead and tell me about that. Uh, John in the chat room says, "I can't believe Kane is anything but a puppet." You know, it would be justice in terms of my you know thinking on it if hillary clinton died before getting into office not because you know again i'm not the kind of person i've seen this person out there on the internet and i think it's really ugly where you wish like horrible deaths on people and stuff like this i'm not wishing for hillary clinton to die right but you know the idea that she has wanted to be president and what I can anticipate based on her past track record is that she's going to abuse that power. What I can anticipate based on my analysis of her acceptance speech is that she is going to increase the size and scope of government. And in particular, she's going to have government initiate force against all of us, get involved in every area of our lives, force us to do a lot of things against our will, steal more of our wealth, more and more of our wealth, and make our lives as miserable as she possibly can over at least the next four years or so. So given that I can anticipate this, I would not mind at all if she got elected, thought everything was peachy keen, and then never was able to make it into office. Maybe she would just get really ill. And that, that could even be better, right? Where she'd be really ill and she couldn't hold office and she'd have to watch somebody else be in office and you know again she would 
think about all the things that she could have done, all the crony type things that she could have done while in office. And now her plans are foiled and everything else. I think that would have been an, an interesting and pleasant thing to see. But let's go ahead and back up a second because, you know, why is it important? Why is honesty such a big thing? And why should we be worried that the American public is apparently prepared to vote in enough numbers for Hillary to get her elected to be president. Now, you know, the, the fact that the New York Times says she has an 86% chance of becoming president, that doesn't mean that 86% of the American people are going to vote for her, thankfully. Oh, my gosh. But there's going to have to be, what, at least 30-some-odd percent, 40-some-odd percent who are going to have to vote for Hillary Clinton and then we have to figure out, okay, of that percentage that votes for Hillary Clinton, what percentage of them are voting for Hillary Clinton only because they think Trump is horrible and they're afraid of the consequences of a Trump presidency. But there is a significant chunk of the American voting public who is going to vote for Hillary Clinton enthusiastically, thinking, first of all, that the socialist measures that she laid out in her acceptance speech are good which means they think that it's okay to steal from your fellow man in order to make your fellow man live up to what you think is the moral duty of them to sacrifice themselves for other people, right? So there's that. Uh, and then second, you're willing to vote for this person despite the fact that she has been shown, even in mainstream media, to be repeatedly dishonest. Now, mind you, New York Times is not emphasizing this. As I said, the story was there, and then I quickly saw it buried under other things. But this is ridiculous, right? This is, this is ridiculous that people are going to vote for this woman in enough numbers to make her president. Similarly for Donald Trump, right? You know, I was talking in the beginning about the fact that the things that he lies about are probably less significant than the things that Hillary Clinton has lied about. So if you do a sheer quantity comparison, then it doesn't really, you know, it's like comparing apples to oranges, because if you talk about the things that Hillary Clinton lies about, they are of such significance. The fact that she tells relatively few lies doesn't really matter. But nonetheless, here's Donald Trump He's a big liar, and this was known before he ever got the nomination. It's not like he suddenly started lying after he got the nomination. He continues to baffle people after the nomination. He continues to baffle people when there's one story that I have, you know, at, at don'tletitgo.com. Uh, one story that says that he is, despite the fact of slipping poll numbers, because he has been so abrasive, so irresponsible in the things that he says, that he's continuing to speak in that style and basically say whatever occurs to him without any filter. That's disturbing, right? And, and, the, and it's disturbing that the GOP would nominate a person who has lied so much and spoken so abrasively. Horrible. Motive Power in the chat room says that Trump is a pragmatic liar. You know, we could have a whole debate about this. And actually, if you do want to call in and talk about, you know, the, the types of lying that the two do and how you could, in your mind, uh, you know, I'll, I'll call it this, rationalize voting for Trump. I'm going to stir you up and call it rationalization if you're going to vote for Trump, despite the fact that he's also a liar. I am not voting for either of those two. 
And, you know, I talk about this, that people would vote for Trump out of fear. And with all my luck, there's going to be some horrible terrorist attack the day before it's, you know, time for me to vote, go to the polls or on my mail-in ballot or whatever it is. And it's going to, you know, tweak me just a little bit because you think, okay, there's at least a chance that Trump might, you know, the broken clock right twice a day, that he might do something that's going to be more effective against the terrorist threat than Hillary Clinton. But I swear I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to vote out of fear for Donald Trump. Uh, why? Because he is a liar, among other things. But, you know, th- this is the question. You want to you want to call in and try to argue me out of that? You can. The number is 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. Uh, why do we care? Why do I care about lying? You know, maybe I'm just one of these old-fashioned people. You know, you just have to realize everyone's a liar, as Christoph puts it there in the New York Times piece. There's just regular politician lying, and then there's, you know, the really big lies that Donald Trump tells, supposedly. I would say that Donald Trump is more probably of the typical, if you'd say there's a typical politician liar. You know, if there's somebody who's really lying as, as, as a habit, you know, maybe you get like one person telling a, a mystery, like Gary Johnson, for example, he was saying there weren't any deaths due to marijuana, but I don't think he was lying about it. I think he just didn't know. And so sometimes there's people who have sort of a foggy idea of something and then they say something definite about it. I think politicians will do this and it's sometimes tempting to do this, but it, it, it never does you any good at all. Uh, you know, in any event, why do I care? You know, why do I care? Why am I so concerned about the person that I vote for, particularly for office of president, that that person be honest, as far as I know, at least not have a reputation for dishonesty? This is the thing that's so baffling for me, is that both of them have a reputation for dishonesty, and yet these are the leading two candidates for president of the United States in 2016. Uh, Craig says in the chat room, all politicians are liars. It is silly to try to evaluate who is worst. That's really sad. That's really sad. So Johnson is just as much of a liar as everybody else, you think? I I, I just, to me, I just, I can't believe that as much. You know, another thing that we could tie into this Olympic theme when you talk about Johnson is Johnson no doubt has the self-esteem that comes with achieving some sort of, you know, physical accomplishment, uh, you know, overcoming a, a tremendous physical challenge like climbing Mount Everest. By the way, I think I said on a prior show that he had done that without oxygen and I am wrong. I saw a picture and apparently he had the mask on. So that wasn't true, but it's not that I lied and I didn't say I knew for sure, but um, just to clarify, that I didn't really know that I what I was talking about there, but no, he did. He did Everest with some oxygen. Uh, Doug in the chat room says avoiding an issue is not the same as lying. Right? I've seen Ted Cruz avoid an issue, and I cringe when I see it. He does it very skillfully, but yes, avoiding an issue is not the same as lying. And there are sometimes, you know, we would think with politicians, right? They they should just answer the damn question, but Sometimes there are times when you are justified in avoiding an issue and just actually not talking about it. Uh, Jay in the chat room says there's a subtle difference between pandering and lying, and he thinks that Johnson panders a bit. Yes, 
definitely could be seen to do that as well. I think he does some of that with the the Black Lives Matter, for example, the comments that he made recently. I think he also did that with the initial comment that he made about Hillary Clinton not being a criminal. And I think he realized that he shouldn't do that. Um, Motive Power says that it's the media's fault that you've got to that, oh, that they can get away with this avoiding the issue? Yeah, probably it is the media's fault that they can get away with avoiding the issue. It, it is really sad to see politicians succeed in avoiding addressing a real issue and a real question that's directed to them. And yes, I've seen them all do it, even Ted Cruz, who was my favorite in this election cycle, and it, and it was very disturbing. Um, but avoiding an issue versus telling outright lies about things. I haven't seen Cruz doing that. Even though Trump tries to peg him as lying Ted, I see that more as projection given Trump's record. But in any event, um, again, you can call in and and correct me on any of this if you want, 760-888-5817. So why do I care about this honesty topic? Why should you care about this honesty topic? What is the importance of honesty? Most people think that honesty is really just a matter of reputation, that it's all about other people and what other people think about you. So maybe you could say, okay, well, we care whether our president of the United States has a reputation for honesty because we care about what other people in the world think about us, whether the other world leaders are going to see our president as credible, right? So it's all about other people. And there's, there's a huge component of this that is a very valid worry if you're talking about the president of the United States, because the president of the United States is, you know, the kind of, you know, commander in chief, right. And also the figurehead for United States as well, the representative of the United States on the world stage. So talk about having an important interface with other people. Also the president of the United States is supposed to be a leader and potentially even to some extent a role model for people here in this country. How pathetic, again, a role model, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Anyway, don't get me started on that. Yeah, so so you could just think of it from that standpoint, right? But what I like about Ayn Rand's understanding of honesty in particular, if you're not familiar with it, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Ayn Rand's understanding of honesty. And I think it is one of the unique aspects of her philosophy and I you know particularly enjoy sharing it with students because it challenges again this idea that honesty is all about other people right honesty you know you you should be honest because if you're not honest other people are going to think you're bad or you should be honest because uh, maybe someone else is going to catch you in a lie And some horrible thing is going to happen to you because somebody else caught you in a lie, right? So maybe there's some consequence. But, you know, if you know that you could get away with the lying, then go ahead and lie because then if, you know, your reputation isn't going to be harmed or any other bad consequences aren't going to happen, then, yeah, just just go ahead and do it because that's no problem, right? I think that's what a lot of people think, that honesty is a virtue about how you interact with other people. And that's not the way that Ayn Rand understands it fundamentally, right? Ayn Rand, the way that she defines honesty is she defines honesty as never faking reality 
in order to obtain a value. Right? The virtue of honesty would require that you never fake reality in order to obtain a value. And why is it important to do this? And the, the thing that's interesting about Rand is, is the why it's so important to do this. And it has to do with our minds, our rational faculty. And if you know a little bit about Rand, there is a phrase that she will use, and, and some people don't fully understand exactly what this means, but it is that reason is man's basic means of survival, that our minds, our reason is the way that we as human beings basically survive. And there is a lot of thinking that you would have to do before you actually see that this is the case. But I can give you an indication briefly. Just think about basic human needs. And I'm going to put four, but everyone, you know, everyone says food, clothing, shelter. And if you do, if you think of food, clothing, and shelter, then those will give you a broad example. But I like to add medicine as well because it makes the point clear. But if you think of any of these things, food, clothing, and shelter, all the food varieties and nutrition and packaging and everything else that are at your local grocery store, for example, the clothing, all the wonderful clothing, including the Under Armour clothing that Michael Phelps is uh, so effectively hawking these days. Again, if you go to don'tletitgo.com at the bottom of the program notes, you'll see what I'm talking about there. Uh, but, you know, think about that clothing, right? Athletic clothing in particular, the design that the care that people have to take so that it hangs correctly on the body so that it doesn't impede the movement of the athlete, the nature of the fibers so that the fibers breathe, you know, breathe properly so that you're comfortable if you're working out and you get hot and you're sweating, uh, all the different things that go into the design of the clothing, the production, the manufacture of the clothing, even looking at styles and the way that the styles of the clothing can affect people and whether something looks sexy or ugly or, well, you know, whatever. Um, think of the role of the mind in all of those decisions, right? Uh, shelter from, you know, horrible architecture that you've seen to the most beautiful Frank Lloyd right building. Uh, you, know, you could think of the examples of great architecture, or you could just think about shelter in a very basic way, all the engineering principles required to make a house stand when it's got a roof of a certain breadth and pitch and all this kind of stuff as well. Just think about, and you know, medicine, I, don't, I hope I don't even have to, you know, get you on board with the idea that the human mind is essential in the provision of medicine that actually helps and doesn't hurt. And we're always discovering all the time, new techniques, new technologies. You know, there's always, I mean, it seems every week now, there's a story about how we're on the verge of getting a cure for cancer, some sort of a vaccine, et cetera. Um, our knowledge is always expanding, but it requires the mind. All human values, says Rand, are a product of the mind. Reason, our mind is the basic means of survival. And then if you go to honesty, what role does honesty play with respect to this? What honesty does, if you practice the virtue of honesty, is it keeps your mind, your rational faculty in touch with reality. 
Because what do you need to do with your rational faculty in order to produce the values, food, clothing, shelter, medicine? You need to be able to ruthlessly observe the truth, identify the truth, act on the truth. And you're not going to be able to do that to the extent that you make any sort of habit in your life about lying. And it doesn't have to do with talking to other people, what you tell other people, what you can get away with with other people. It has to do with your own mind's contact with reality in the world. And to the extent that you have some sort of deficiency with honesty, that is the extent to which you're going to find it difficult to keep your mind in constant contact with reality and, uh, you know, to, to produce the values that are necessary to sustain your life. And, it, you know, it doesn't matter what sort of value you produce. You're going to need to keep your mind in proper contact with reality in order to do that consistently and successfully over the long term. So this is why honesty, first of all, is a very selfish issue, right? You know, some people would say, okay, well, even if you could get away with being dishonest, uh, you know, they say, well, because of my religion, my religion says that I should be honest, even if I'm kind of sacrificing myself to other people, I should be honest because it's a matter of me doing my duty either to God or to other people or however you put it. And Rand says, no, 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 it's not even about that, right? Even if you say, okay, you could get away with it. And even if you say, okay, well, you know, you, you don't feel like you have to perform a duty to anybody else. Primarily, you have a very selfish interest in being honest all the time to the extent that you possibly can, given the state of your knowledge about, you know, what your particular situation is. And, and it can get tricky in some situations. So let me, you know, let me give you an example. Uh, suppose you have um, an employer, right? And an employer who asks you certain questions about your personal life, right? And you don't believe that the employer has a right to know certain things about your personal life. And so you choose to, as people were talking about here in the chat room, that some politicians sometimes do this, you choose to avoid the issue. Suppose you choose to do that. Now, in some cases where the employer is just making chit chat and it's not like there's some employment decision that would really ride on this or anything else, I would say you're perfectly justified in doing things to avoid the issue and not answer the question and all those things. But suppose it was, for example, you know, do you ever use marijuana, right? And you don't happen to think that employers should care whether you use marijuana. And maybe you know that, you know, you use marijuana infrequently enough or, you know, the type that you use, it doesn't have the THC or whatever. The employer shouldn't care. It's no worse than alcohol. Suppose you think that. But suppose you also know that the employer, if he knew that you used marijuana, would not hire you and wouldn't want to keep you as an employee if he knew that you used it. Then I think that what you'd be doing is you'd be taking the job on false pretenses if you did that. So you'd say, okay, no, the employer would have a right to know. So those are you know, the tricky examples. If an employer asked you a personal question, you'd have to think, okay, well, is this really a question that the employer has some reason to know about, a legitimate reason to know about, the fact that somebody employs you doesn't mean that he either thinks that he should know everything about your personal life 
or that he would make a hiring decision about a particular fact in your personal life. Sometimes employers might just ask you personal questions because they're bored one day. You know, you're in a store, suppose you work retail and there's a slowdown and they ask you some question and you just avoid it craftily. It's not important, right? You have to make that judgment call, right? Because you're trying to decide whether to actually share a piece of personal information that you don't think the employer has a right or interest to know. And you don't think that you are depriving the employer of a value. You're not taking a value, gaining a value by avoiding the issue, right? So that, that's one example of a, a tricky issue, you know, tricky situation where you could have difficulty applying honesty. Um, then there's another kind of situation where some people walk into a place of employment and they just blurt out what they think about everything truthfully, quote, all day long, a la Donald Trump style, right? Really tactlessly. And you don't need to, but you can say, okay, well, even if I'm totally tactless and rude, I'm honest all the time. So give me credit for being honest, even though I'm tactless and rude and maybe even abusive in the way that I spew the truth out there. That is ridiculous as well, right? So again, applying what the you know, virtue of honesty means that principle in different situations can be tough. One easy example is an example, in fact, that uh, Kant used to use and that, you know, people who have been around objectivism a lot of times like to talk about uh, the example where there's an axe murderer and you're babysitting some kids and the axe murderer comes to the front door, knocks on the door and you answer the door and he says, where's the children? And you want to be honest. So you say third door on the left. No, right? Um, you are not faking reality in that case in order to obtain a value. You are telling something to this person that is untrue because you are protecting a value from an unjust attack, right? And maybe that's what a lot of Hillary Clinton supporters think that she's doing, right? They think that she is telling an untruth in order to protect herself from an unjust attack because this is just, of course, a witch hunt. They are just trying to sabotage the achievement of Hillary Clinton's noble socialist vision or however they see it, right? Uh, Craig in the chat room says that the American people would never elect anyone who told the truth. Wow. So sadness. Motive Power says, so it's not about Santa bringing you any gifts. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rob in the chat room says, you are recognizing the full context, Right. And, and the tricky thing in some of these situations is the ability to recognize the full context, to recognize the application of the virtue of honesty and this principle of never faking reality in order to obtain a value. How does that apply in particular contexts? It can be tricky in relationships with friends and even lovers, all kinds of stuff. So I give you an indication there, but you know, the biggest takeaway is to think of honesty, first of all, as concerning the connection of the mind to reality. And we should be very disturbed when we have leaders who are habitually taking their minds out of contact with reality, deliberately faking reality in order to obtain values. 
Why? Because the more they do that, the less they are able to think rationally and do the things required to protect our rights, which is supposedly what they're supposed to be doing. Of course, they're infringing them all the time, and that's going to be the justice piece that we're going to talk about in a minute or two. I do have a call, and I'm going to go ahead and grab that now. Hi, who's this? Hi, Amy. It's Ed. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? Uh, you know, depressed over the whole election thing. Yeah, I'm I'm I mean obviously about the election thing I'm depressed, but I'm trying to take some solace in some of the awesome achievements in the Olympics and just other things that you can as you look around this great world that we live in. Yes, I've been watching the Olympics uh every day. I I fast forward through all of the stuff, right? So I mean, not the events but like all of the all of the NBC crap and so you you can fit like 10 hours of Olympics into three hours of watching. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> that's the only way to do it. I can imagine from the New York Times piece that I, that I saw that I, that I linked to when they talk about this excessive, not just ad time, but also NBC, what commentary and stuff like that as well. Yeah. I mean, I don't mind some of the interviews and, and profiles, but, uh, but like last night was just a disaster. I mean, one commercial after another and of course the only commercial I wanted to see was the Star Wars trailer and it didn't air until like 10:15. so yeah that was god yeah, that was awful um, Torture. but on the lying on the lying thing uh, I uh, it's it's hard to evaluate Trump uh, I I think a substantial number of his misstatements are, are things he actually believes Right, right. No, I I agree with that. I agree with that. It's hard. It's hard to evaluate them as lies. Uh, I know people like this. Uh, I I used to work for a guy. He's a very nice guy. He's he's excellent for my career. Um, But he was he he BSed all the time. He he was a salesman type, and 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 he would he he would we uh, we call that Ed we call we call we call that in the trade embellishing, right? Yeah, Yeah. He. He would he would embellish to the customer about oh we're going to do all these great things, and the customer knew he was embellishing, and he knew that the customer knew that he was embellishing. But it was just sort of bizarre. <sighs> it was bizarre. Yeah. It was this bizarre you know I have, I, have, where... I have a story about this. I have a story about this right because um the, and there's been this little meme or I, I don't know, I, you wouldn't even call it a meme. It's a little quiz that everybody's giving themselves going around social media and it's what you know what were your first seven jobs and I can't remember exactly where this falls in the order but one of my first seven jobs was as an assistant manager of a men's clothing store I don't believe the chain exists any longer it was called GHQ do you remember this yeah no it's it wasn't penny for Sears it's not where I got clothes (laughs) yeah no so GHQ is a little kind of chain small stores in malls and I remember this guy came in and, you know, I'm 18 years old or something. And this guy, I think he's having his 30th birthday party. And, of course, when you're 18, 19 years old, you think 30 is ancient. Ha, ha, ha. Um, but, he's, you know, he's going to his 30th birthday party and he needs an outfit to wear. So talk about, you know, this guy walks in the men's clothing store. I'm on commission. And he says, I want an outfit, right? And he just lets me go and, and get this outfit for him. And I mean, you know, dressing men in good clothes. I mean, this is an awesome job, right? So 
I go to town and I, I, I look, I can't even remember what the outfit was, but I was really pleased with myself. I picked out this outfit and he even wanted shoes. I mean, imagine, right. I'm on commission and he wanted shoes and we had shoes. So I go and I pick the shoes that we have in the store that I think are the very best to go with this outfit belt, the whole bit. And we don't have a size and you know, me working in the mall and you walk up and down for lunch and stuff and you see the other shops, I say, well, these are the perfect shoes. We don't have, you know, the shoe in your size, but I know that X store down the hall has this, right? And I'm starting to tell him this. And the guy who's like the other assistant manager that's my competition, he was there at the store at the same time. I don't know why they had us both scheduled at the same time. So he comes in and tries to sell this guy a different style of shoe to go with my perfect outfit that I had created for this guy, right? And like a, a white athletic shoe or so. It was just hideous. And, but he wants to make the sale. So he's embellishing about how, you know, oh, well, this shoe could even be better and the blah, blah, blah. It's, no, 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 no. You do not. I mean, you don't earn the respect of a customer, the trust of a customer, the repeat business of a customer when you try to sell them something that doesn't really fit their needs. Do you agree? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm not, you know, I'm, this could be a much longer discussion. I'm not 100% sure I like Ayn Rand's formulation of that. Now, obviously, I like the content behind it, but the, you know, if a value is that which you act to gain or keep, um, you shouldn't lie to gain, but you can lie to keep. That's kind of what it implies, and I don't think that's sort of the best formulation. Yeah, but I think, I think she would you, say you could, you could you lie know? to defend a value, so it's, it's really in self-defense. That's that you're right. Talking. Yeah, self-defense. That's ex- yeah. No, see, that's exactly right. That's how that, you were going exactly where I was going. It's sort of a, right. is, is in self-defense, right? Yeah. It's a bit, right. But not to. I always, you know. You know, preserve a value. You know, preserve a value against an unjust attack on that value. You know, I I I I urge people, you know, not 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 to lie to yourself. I mean, that's the most important thing, and that's what, that's the the key, the key insight of Ayn Rand is never lie to yourself. You know, and yes. Uh, yes, we can we can talk about lying to other people to gain values and all that, but the truth is, you really have to focus on reality for yourself. That's the most no, and and, it, and it's not lying to other people to obtain values, right? She says you can't fake reality yeah. in order to obtain a right. value, and so right, faking right. reality yeah. isn't primarily about when you're talking to other people; it's for yourself. Right, exactly, because you have to be, you know, you have to be focused on your life. And, and getting things out of your life. And I don't think, you know, the weird thing about the two candidates is I do think Trump fakes reality, it lies to himself. You know, I mean, I, I don't think he's particularly reality focused. Whereas I think Clinton, I think Clinton knows. I think she's fairly clear on reality. I, I, you know, I, I don't think she lies to herself. You, you know what right. I mean? I, 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 I think she habitually lies to other people and lies to gain power and lies to gain money and lies to gain all of these things. But it's not clear that she's delusional, which I think Trump is sometimes. And so here's, here's a perfect example. Here's, here's a guy who I think is not, I don't think Trump is, uh, I, I don't think Trump is, is, is deliberate as deliberately malicious as I, you know, I think he's one of these BS salesman types who just who believes his own BS. Um, but I think he really does lie to himself. 
And on the other hand, I think we have a person who's fairly honest with herself, probably, um, but habitually lies to gain money and power. And like, which right. one would be worse for the presidency? And I, I don't, you know, I don't really have an answer um, for that. But it's an interesting contrast because I think, I think their dishonesty is. I mean, what do you is, think is of different. this, Kristoff, trying to say that Hillary Clinton, her, you know, her lying is somehow less severe, significant, bad than Trump? Well, let, well, okay. So let's talk about Trump's lies for a second. Tell me, tell me a couple of Trump's lies. Oh, so let me, you know, what I should do is go back over to the piece and, and give Why you some examples. Of, what, what, huh? No, no, that's my, that's my point. Oh, Why well, I, I gave you off up? the top of my head one of the examples, right? So I, I do think he probably lied about Ted Cruz's involvement in the pack that put that picture out of his wife and supposedly started that whole thing where then he went ahead and actually tweeted out something insulting of Ted Cruz's wife. Um, and then how about the lie? Uh, uh, you, oh, you, you, think that, you, you think that un, Trump that believed that Ted Cruz's father was involved? Hmm? Oh, oh, in the, um, in, uh, in the Kennedy shooting? assassination? Yeah. Um, you know what? I, I actually do believe he believes it. Yeah. I, and, and that's, God, I, you know, um, you know, he's big buddies with the guy who publishes the National Enquirer, right? I mean, he, they've, they've, been buddy, they've been friends for many years. And I think if this guy calls him up and says, you know, I've got this picture that shows Ted, Ted Cruz's uh, father, you know, with Castro or Shea or whoever. Well, I forget what it was. Um, I think Trump says, oh, man, i got to use that. And then goes and talks about it. You know, I mean, I, I don't believe there's any, like, check or filter or or anything there you know that where he would where he would like say um well, so like how about how about this one here's, here's an example here's an example that the new york times gives they say trump used to boast that he and vladimir putin were buddies here's a quote from trump i spoke directly and indirectly with president putin and then later he acknowledged that they had never met or spoken okay well that's a lie. Oh, and he, he, he pretended to be his own uh, he pretended to be his own like press secretary at one time. That's oh, nice. One. <laughs> and, and like, and, uh, but I guess my point is um, we have to really think to come up with Trump Trump's lies, and they're and they're all so stupid. But I mean, we could spend the next uh, uh, you know half hour in this program discussing one Clinton lie after another. Oh no, and 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 now, I think I think I'm right that the lies that Clinton has told are about content that is of much more significance than a lot of the stuff that Trump has. So even if the quantity is bigger, but you know, we're doing apples and oranges, but I still I don't want to vote for either of them and in part it's because of this reputation for consistently yeah. lying. Yep. I, I, I don't like either of them either, but I, I do think that on on the significant scale, I mean, from the attacks on on women that her husband had um, sexually assaulted to uh, the white water, the cattle futures, the travel office. The, I mean, we could go through the whole litany thing. It would yes. take the entire rest yes. of the, the uh, show. Yes. Um, the show. And, and it's like, you know, wow, that's a lot. And they're all really significant. I mean, the, you know, the travel office, 
these were government people. So, so let me fired. let let's, jobs, let's you know? so so let us get to it. let's get to the chase a little. Are you planning then to vote for Trump, and you think his lies are not a big deal, or you're not going to vote for either of them? What what's your take? Right now, I am officially undecided. I I I I, I will have to see. There's still a few months to go. We'll have to see what happens. I'm really not a fan of. Uh, I I really dislike William Weld. I'll tell you. He just came out with a, a truly monumentally stupid, not a lie, just shows that he's an idiot, uh, statement about guns the other day. Uh-oh. Um, and so that, that kind of um, – and, and, you know, why that reflects on Johnson is, you know, what was he thinking, picking Weld? You know, and that's the that's – That mean, that's is one really thing that I've heard about Weld, that he's not great on guns. That's one thing that I've heard for sure. So this is something else that we'll have to look into before we decide yeah. whether we're even going to the polls this year. So, well, I mean, I'm going to go to the poll, polls because there are other races. But Right, right. There are other races to vote um, in. Okay, so whether we're going to vote for president yeah. at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or, you know, Castle or maybe write in Ted Cruz just, you know, to be annoying. I'm probably not going to not vote. I wrote myself in for the last uh, election for if there's uh, any election in which you would write yourself in, I think it would be this election, not so much. For, oh, I don't know. I guess for, I would be frustrated enough last. I don't think I voted last time. I think I was just so disgusted by the option that the Republicans. Wasn't, it wasn't a presidential. It was the uh, local Virginia election. I was like, wow, these two. Oh, people okay, really okay. Just gonna write. I'm just gonna write myself in uh, because after all, I'm eligible, so I might as well write myself. Now here, here's uh, a. Here, here's your invitation to be a conspiracy theorist, Ed. How about this one? Um, okay. If if Donald Trump is maintaining this so-called provocative approach that he takes when he's speaking publicly out there, even though he's sliding in the polls and he knows he's sliding in the polls, he's upset about he's sliding in the polls, it says, you know, New York Times says he's lamenting sliding in the polls, but he's going to go ahead and maintain this. He's going to say stuff like, right, that ISIS... I guess regularly praises Barack Obama that Barack Obama founded ISIS or something. He's going to keep doing this stuff, even if he continues to lose. Do you think it's rigged? Do you think that Donald Trump was put in here to make sure that Hillary Clinton gets elected? Um, no, and I have to say that uh, the provocative stuff is um, is something I really like about the Trump campaign. Now, I I, I said last summer that if you know, if Trump didn't exist, we'd have to invent him. But that was when I thought that he would be the crazy, provocative person that the Republicans would finally reject for a more moderate Ted Cruz type. <laughs> yeah. Right. Was, but I do, I, I do like, I, I really like the fact, um, and I'm not saying, I'm, you know, I, I don't like Trump. Trump is a terrible messenger, but I do like someone who, uh, just says things that are, I guess, what's the word, you know, not politically correct or not, you know, right. not nice, not in good company. I mean, I thought, I thought, I like that. I think but don't you, that. don't you think, think whenever he just says something really stupid, right? Um, you know, yes, Barack Obama's policies have emboldened ISIS. We can say that they have strengthened ISIS. But to say that Barack Obama like founded ISIS. And I don't even know that they actually no, do any no, kind see, of regular tributes. Doesn't that make him just look the, bad and, no, and no, take no, credibility see, away from the other I, stuff? 
I I kind of liked that. Um, and you know, it's 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 not true, but I like the fact that I mean, from a, from the standpoint of putting on a campaign, I mean, he's he, he's in the media for for two three days on that, and. Um, and I like the fact that he doesn't well, and, apologize. And, and, but I like also, the fact that also says, very, know, very suspiciously, very suspiciously, while he's in the media for two days because of that, New York Times suddenly is able to bury that story that I highlighted earlier about the emails, right? New York Times had that story, but it quickly got buried behind the latest horrible things that Donald Trump said, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, again, he's, he is definitely not running this campaign well. But there are things to learn about the way he does things for use in the future. I, I don't think that the right is well, and, and I would I would say that um, I would say that Cruz and Rubio were both making an attempt to learn on the job a bit from what you might think are the legitimate aspects of Donald Trump not being PC and making all sorts of jokes at their, you know, competitors expense and things like that. Cruz was getting really yeah. good at it. Even, even Rubio, they did that yoga thing in the one debate, right. Um, that was pretty funny and, and pretty good and effective. I think Rubio went a little bit too far sometimes and you can't really maintain any sort of decorum and, and presidential, demeanor if you go too far right i don't know i, I don't know I'm, again trump's nuts but i like the and so he's not he's not like i, I don't want him but i okay. think i think playing by Mar- the marcus of queensbury rules is going to lead to loss after loss after loss Okay. So I think there are things so, we can so, learn. So from. you, first of all, you you do like a lot of his style, and then second, you think no, he's not in there to make sure that Hillary Clinton wins. That's not a legitimate theory of any kind. Well, there was a there was a story again. Who knows whether it's sourced? Um, you know, it, it was sourced to, to someone close to Trump earlier in the year that Trump wanted to get in this for to to. Um, Make a splash, maybe get eight, ten percent of the vote, cause a stir, and um, you know have some say in in sort of some of the issues that the Republican Party deals with, and then mm-hmm. get out. And I think I think that's probably true. He didn't intend to win. I don't think he wanted to win, and I don't think he wants to win the presidency either. I don't think. And I don't think he wants. I don't think he wants. And then what happens? I, I mean, you know, again, New York Times is predicting eighty percent, eighty-six percent for Hillary. But what happens if he does win? He's just going to say, "Sorry, I'm not going to take it. I never thought I would win." I, I have no idea what's going to happen if Trump Trump wins. I, I, He'll outsource I it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He'll outsource it to Mike Pence. I mean, he even said that. He said, you know, he's going to do the big picture stuff, and like his vice president's going to run you know, the office. I mean, that's, that's a wow. weird thing to say, right? I mean, but I mean, that's it what, I, I really don't think he wants to be president. I don't think he's pro Clinton, but I, yeah. it's a very well, weird, he, he's a weird guy. I mean, I, you know, hopefully this will cause a huge shakeup in the Republican party. Cause the last thing 
we well, will. Well, and and that's I think the I think the popularity of, of Johnson is going to help ensure that as well. And I've got to let you go because I've got a whole bunch okay. of other things that I do want to get to. But I thank you for calling in and uh, playing the, the games with me, the various honesty games with me, and we'll talk again very soon. So thank you. And uh, I'm doubting though that everyone's going to want to call in live at six in the morning. Maybe some of you guys will. That'd be awesome if you can join me then. Uh, Green in the chat room, Green Green Beasley says, Trump will make America great again. I I know that he, I think he actually has a desire and a conviction that he will make America great again, but I'm not sure that he knows how he intends to do it. There is a lot of, and if you go back and listen, uh, Green Beasley, I don't think I've seen you in the chat room before, welcome. If you go back and listen to a show that I have a few weeks ago where I was analyzing Trump's acceptance speech, you can see that he doesn't really have any set means of making America great again. America first, but what exactly does that mean? Uh, he doesn't have a real plan. It's all about what we would we were calling the other week primacy of consciousness. This is a term from philosophy from, from Rand, but the idea that believing will make it so. All we have to do is believe in America, and then suddenly magical things will happen. And whereas a positive frame of mind can go some distance you have to have definite ideas behind it he just have them and that's the thing that is very scary especially when he does believe things in his own mind that aren't true so much of the time as ed and i were just talking about Uh, again returning over to the blog at don'tletitgo.com for some of the other stories that i have there i want to get into the injustice portion right because i talk about truth and justice our truth and justice still the american way And one massive injustice that's been foisted upon the American people that we could talk about for way too long, but I only want to mention it briefly here, is Obamacare. And we've been talking about Obamacare as an ongoing story for years now, unfortunately. There's a new story this week over at Powerline Blog, thanks to James Valiant for sharing that along. Headline is, NPR and Harvard say that Obamacare is a complete failure. So if NPR and Harvard are now agreeing that Obamacare is a failure, and again, we've talked about how it's a failure, how it has caused the insurance market to fail, made it so that no private insurance companies could actually be profitable due to the regulatory burden that's put on them by Obamacare. Uh, It's made uh, the premiums go up by tremendous amounts. I'm really scared, actually, about what my personal insurance premiums are going to be next year. They went up significantly last year. I don't want to downgrade my insurance policy this next year, but I'm worried about what it's going to be because even though everybody knows, everyone's acknowledging it's a failure right now, it is still the, quote, law of the land, thanks in no small part to Justice John Roberts. And so I am worried we're just going to be suffering through this. And, you know, again, if we get Hillary Clinton, 86% chance that it's going to be just, you know, it's going to be a doubling down of Obamacare. You're going to get the Hillary Clinton. You're going to get the universal health care. There's going to be a demand for it because Obamacare has failed. Why? Because of the big, bad, free market. That's what they're going to try to do is blame it on capitalism when really it is the fault of government intervention, of course. So that's Obamacare. Um, the injustice that actually kind of inspired the justice portion of the title for this week, though, is the next story that I've got on the program notes. Muslim flight attendant sues ExpressJet 
over suspension. And I'm not sure if you heard about this story. It was reported on August 9th by AP Associated Press. And it's out of Detroit. It says a Muslim flight attendant has sued ExpressJet, accusing the airline of wrongfully suspending her because she refused to serve alcohol to passengers. CARE, the Council on American-Islamic Relations, the Michigan chapter, announced Tuesday it filed the lawsuit last week on behalf of Cherie Stanley, a Detroit-based flight attendant for the airline express jet that is headquartered in Atlanta. Federal court case follows a discrimination complaint filed last year with the EEOC, and the EEOC dismissed it without determining whether the airline violated the law. Talk about punting talk about avoiding doing their job. EEOC dismisses it and doesn't determine whether there's a violation of law. They essentially invited this lawsuit. So what you have now is you have someone who is able to sue an airline and be taken seriously in a court of law in the United States because the airline won't redefine a job description according to what her deity, right, arbitrarily decrees whatever the deity arbitrarily decrees she thinks that the job description that she's given is supposed to conform to that regardless of express jets own beliefs wishes profits anything else she has a right to a job and my question for you is is that anything like you would call justice in the united states that somebody is going to have a right to a job where that job description is tailored specifically to the whims of whatever deity they happen to believe in. I mean, you know, I'm going to go fly in Spaghetti Monster on these people and say that I should be able to just kind of sit back in the hold and not do any work and, you know, just go ahead and read Atlas Shrugged the whole time. Don't you think that would be good? I think that would be great. People who are hanging out here in the chat room, um, I've got had Green Beasley was talking about a lot of uh, Trump over and over. Trump will make this nation great again and bold. I ended up kicking him. So just to let you guys know. Um, yeah, job description existed before the stewardess did, says Tim Peck here in the chat room. And Jay in the chat room says, you do not have a right to a job. It implies that an employer must be forced to employ you. And that is what Muslims are doing in this country now. Now, mind you, I would be against this, you know, this sort of lawsuit, regardless of the particular religion that the, you know, the plaintiff adhered to. This happens to be Islam. It happens to be a religion, the requirements of which are out of sync with a lot of the job descriptions in the United States. A lot of the job descriptions in the United States are compatible either with Christianity or Judaism, or they're compatible with the way that the majority of the adherents to Christianity or Judaism practice it. Whether the jobs are compatible with the flying spaghetti monster, we could talk about in another show, but you know, it just so happens, for example, in supermarkets that they sell pork, And there's a lot of Muslims who believe that they shouldn't have to handle pork, even if they're going to work as a cashier in a supermarket. Or, you know, here's the stewardess and she thinks she shouldn't have to serve alcohol. 
even though she's going to be a flight attendant on an airline where the job description has for decades included serving alcohol to passengers. They want everything to change according to their beliefs, and they want to use government to force employers to do this according to their wishes. Uh, Motive Power says the lesson is don't hire Muslims, but of course you can't do that either, right? Because it would be job discrimination to not hire a Muslim because the person is a Muslim. Motive Power says if I were a passenger, I would sue her for not serving me alcohol. You know, when I posted this story on Facebook, people were talking about all sorts of things that they would do in reaction to someone not serving them alcohol. They say, you know, uh, the, one of the politest ones was, well, I'm not asking you to drink the alcohol. I'm asking you to serve me the alcohol. It's very, very different. Uh, Motive Power says these people are hurting themselves. You know, they're hurting themselves for sure in our eyes, in people, in the eyes of people who are rational, but in our culture today, where everybody believes of, you know, intolerance above all, that you have to support the little guy, that people do have a right to a job. There is a sense in which the average American believes that he or she has a right to a job. And of course, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama will tell you in their speeches that you have a right to not just a job, but a job that pays some sort of decent salary whereby you can support a family on it even if you're not worth that much money to the employer, nonetheless, you should have a right to a job as long as you want that job. And so, you know, to the extent that people believe that there's a right to a job at all, and then you believe there shouldn't be discrimination based on religion, lo and behold, you're going to have a right to a job and the job description is going to have to be bended, bent, bended. What kind of word is that? Bent to accommodate the employee, whether it be Muslim or any other religion. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how this lawsuit comes out. The EEOC, if it was going to keep these sorts of horrible, frivolous lawsuits out of our courts, it should have declared something about the state of the law. And what I think, of course, it should have said is that, no, you do not have a right to a job in which you get to change the job description according to the whims of your you know, particular deity. Uh, there are jobs that involve serving alcohol. Don't apply for those jobs if you're not ready to serve alcohol. I think it's very, very simple. In a country where you have freedom of association, you can choose to work. You know, suppose there is an alcohol-free airline, and suppose you are the best stewardess ever. You say, well, I'm the best stewardess ever, but there's only one alcohol-free airline. I'm going to go work for them. And look at what a great job I'm doing. And yeah, Delta, I could be working for you too, or Express Jet, I could be working for you too. If only you would tailor your job description to me. Okay, earn it. Earn the job description that you want, right? That would be the American way to do it. That would be the just way to do it, where you just, you know, you demonstrate the value that you provide to people and they create for you the opportunities accordingly. But what this person is asking, what Kara is asking, is they're asking for something against the wishes of ExpressJet. ExpressJet, if they had thought that she demonstrated such a value to them, that she represented a, a great value to them, they would have tailored to her wounds. But they said, no, you are not so good that we think that it is worthwhile changing the standard job description to let you work here in this role and not serve alcohol. 
And nonetheless, they want to force ExpressJet to do that. And I say, yeah, that's inherently unjust. And to the extent that those sorts of cases, which are, they come up in the courts all the time, right? This is just the latest example. To the extent that these sorts of cases can even be heard and taken seriously and not just thrown out of our courts today, it, at, you know, it leads you to question, is our country really one where truth and justice are still part of the American way? Are they still the American way? And I would say, you know, with respect to justice, if lawsuits like this are allowed to even be heard and given credibility, that the answer is no. And certainly if it succeeds, the answer is no. But what's going to probably happen? ExpressJet is going to settle out of court. And maybe they're not going to have the judge ever really decide it. No one's going to push. But we need to push. We need to actually get somebody to state, do they or do they not think that there is a right to a job tailored to the whims of of your particular deity? And I would hope that they say no. (sighs) Similar injustice actually is being foisted upon attorneys by the American Bar Association. This is an entry from the Volokh Conspiracy blog. Thanks to Rob Aviera for sending it along. Headline from Eugene Volokh is a speech code for lawyers banning viewpoints that express, quote, bias, including in law-related social activities. Law-related social activities. So Eugene lays out, first of all, the language of a new provision in the model rules of professional conduct. The model rules of professional conduct, for those of you who don't know, is just the ABA's own publication of rules that it thinks the state bar associations should adopt as governing all the attorneys who are admitted to the bar in that state. So the model rules themselves don't have legal authority, but they have some sort of persuasive authority, and it happens to be the case that most of the model rules are adopted by most of the states. So we could predict that it's only a matter of time before at least some states in the country, California would probably be one of the first to eagerly adopt this, right? Um, they're going to adopt this and apply it to their members. So imagine that if you, you know, you're a member of a bar and then suddenly the following language is applied to you. Quote, it is professional misconduct for a lawyer to engage in conduct that the lawyer knows or reasonably should know is harassment or discrimination on the basis of race, sex, religion, national origin, ethnicity, disability, age, sexual orientation, gender identity, marital status, or socioeconomic status in conduct related to the practice of law. And it says this paragraph doesn't limit your ability to accept decline representation, et cetera. Then it uh, goes on to talk about discrimination, harassment, discrimination and harassment includes harmful verbal or physical conduct that manifests bias or prejudice toward others. And they go on to talk about, you know, harassment and everything else. Substantive law of discrimination can guide the application. Okay. Conduct related to the practice of law includes representing clients, of course, interacting with witnesses, coworkers, court personnel, lawyers, and others while engaged in the practice of law, operating or managing a law firm or law practice, and importantly, participating in bar association, business, or social activities in connection with the practice of law. And he gives some examples 
of the sorts of things that could get you in trouble. And we have a nice little pop-up audio that I have to quiet here. Um, But imagine this. He says, suppose you're at a lawyer social activity, local bar, dinner, and say that you get into a discussion with people around the table about all of these matters listed in that rule. And he says, Islam, evangelical Christianity, black-on-black crime, illegal immigration, differences between the sexes, same-sex marriage, restrictions on the uses of bathrooms, the alleged misdeeds of the 1%, the cultural causes of poverty in many households, and so on. And then suppose that one of the people, just at this social event at a bar with some attorneys, suppose that one of them is offended and files a bar complaint. And suppose, again, that rule has been adopted by your state bar. Eugene says, if that's the case, then again, you have engaged in, quote, verbal conduct that the bar may see as, quote, manifesting bias or prejudice and thus as harmful. And he says it's a social activity in connection with the practice of law. He says the state bar, if it adopts this rule, might thus discipline you for harassment. And he says, of course, the speech restrictions are overtly viewpoint-based. He says, if you express pro-equality viewpoints, you're fine. If you express the contrary viewpoints, you're risking disciplinary action. End quote from Eugene. This is really scary. It is horribly unjust because you are restricting the actions of the minds of the attorney. I mean, I already think it's horrible that state bars even exist as a restriction on the market for the provision of legal services. We could talk about that another time. But within that, to now have a speech code for attorneys, when being an attorney, it's part of an intellectual discipline where the mind, again, is supposed to be able to operate freely, connect with reality, consider all arguments pro and con. How can you have you know, an active, productive, lively discussion about important ideas without allowing people to freely express these points of view and, of course, be argued against and proven wrong and called horrible names or whatever it is. But you need to be able to have that discussion in order to even consider what the truth is on the situation. But this is showing you American Bar Association is not interested in lawyers exploring what the truth is on an issue. They are interested in the lawyer's basically towing the party line. And the the party line, of course, for the American Bar Association is very liberal, or you might even call it leftist. And this is a horrible injustice. So again, American Bar Association, this is our attorneys, the people who become the judges and the politicians. They are telling you that we're going to have speech codes governing everybody who is part of this profession, horribly unjust. And I would say that justice is not really part of the American way in a country where the American Bar Association does such a thing. Other injustices, actually, this is a little bit funny. Elon Musk is angry at having to compete for taxpayer handouts. This is a little piece from the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Thanks again, Rob Abiera. Elon Musk is apparently complaining because some of his competitors are getting lawmakers to decrease the amount of government handouts that he is getting for Tesla. Talk about horribleness. I think that's all I need to tell you, that there is somebody out there who thinks that he is entitled to whatever level of handouts that he's currently getting from the government. He's complaining he doesn't have it. 
a crucial victory for California Christian University. Some Christian universities, I guess, are happy that they're going to continue to get government handouts uh, and also conformed, again, to their arbitrary dictates of their deity, right? Um, Rob had said in his comment, shouldn't the universities, the Christian universities, want to be separate from government, but instead they want those government handouts and they want to be able to use that government money in the way that they see fit, just like Elon Musk. A couple stories on marijuana research and reform. Obama administration is supposedly going to remove a barrier to marijuana research. I have a link to that New York Times article and it, I looked at the article. It does not say exactly in what way Obama is lifting restrictions for marijuana research. But what I do know is he is not doing this sort of all or nothing mo, you know, action of declassifying marijuana as a class one narcotic, the thing that Gary Johnson has been talking about doing. Obama is not doing that. He's making it a lot messier. You have to apply and be given special, you know, it's more crony, right? Because those people who are favored are going to be given permission to do marijuana research. And those people who aren't favored aren't instead of just letting everybody do it within a class. That's not, that's not what's going to happen. Uh, Mally Obama maybe, or maybe isn't smoking pot. And I think reason points out that, um, you know, maybe, I mean, first of all, I think it might be a little bit of a big deal, but we could talk about marijuana a little more on a future show. Uh, is he foot dragging on marijuana reform? It seems he kind of is, but maybe he did this in response to the complaints. Uh, maybe there's going to be a third podium for Gary Johnson. That's pretty cool. Uh, Arizona Court of Appeals upholds rights of parents to adopt Native American children. That's an awesome bit of news. Check it out. But the big things I want you to look at are some of the Olympics news. We've got bad and good. An Egyptian refused to shake the hands with an Israeli who beat him in wrestling, I believe. And uh, then we've got a feel-good story about the Olympics, thanks to Jerome Brook. I think he'll talk about it on his show tomorrow, so listen to that. Um, and then finally, we've got M- Michelle Janicki. Check out the two videos with her. She's got such a good spirit. And for balance, I went ahead and put the male athlete video, this wonderful Under Armour commercial with Michael Phelps, just to have a balance. If you've got the hot girl, you've also got the hot guy. Everyone have a good weekend. Enjoy all that stuff at don'tletitgo.com. Sorry I ran out of time and I'll talk to you next week. Take care.